Welcome into the latest edition of the Tennesseans Predcast. I am Adam Vingen, Predators reporter for the USA Today Network Tennessee, joined in studio at the Tennessean offices in downtown Nashville by our columnist Joe Rexroad, a jack of all trades, a college football podcaster, a NFL podcaster, an occasional NHL podcaster. So how's it going, Joe? It's good. Good to see you. Good to see another fresh Adam Vingen haircut. <laughs> Well, no one. You, you lead the league in beat writer haircuts. There's you can't no use a visual. You can't use a visual gag when we're doing a podcast. I, I think with this podcast, we need to tweet out a picture of the new <laughs> do because you've got some, some serious lines going on there. I like it, man. <laughs> I, you know, I have to keep one thing fresh every once in a while. So, speaking of keeping things fresh, uh, the Nashville Predators. Uh, we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon before they face the Winnipeg Jets, but they just came back from a three-game road trip through Western Canada where they won all three games by a combined score of 13-1, to 7-1 to against Vancouver, 4 nothing against Edmonton, and 2 nothing against Calgary. Uh, you know, watching this team continue to play well, uh, you know, in person, you know, they're finding ways to win regardless of the situation. Joe, I mean, how much of that road trip were you able to catch? I know you're a very busy man. Um, every second. Every second. Absolutely. So w- let me hear your take on it. I mean, people are tired of hearing my take on it, I'm sure. So we need some fresh, some fresh blood on it. So that road trip, what stood out to you as the most impressive aspect of that road trip? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I, honestly, I have a 10-year-old who won't like if we're out to dinner or something, it's on the phone, you know, so taping every game. So like Preds fever can, can spread fast, but um, I just, I don't know if they'll ever lose again, Adam. I think they're going to win every game the rest of the way and sweep through the playoffs. No, but I do like, I'm, I watch them. I'm like, these guys are unbelievable. And, and, and you know, UC Soros was sort of like early on, like you know, if you're with problems, Oh, well, what's going on with him? Not getting enough help. But, you know, all of a sudden, you know, last year it's like put in Soros for Rene, and now it's like, oh, is Soros the guy? And now look at him. He's rolling. He sets the record for saves and a shutout, a franchise record. And it just seems like everything's working. But, uh, you know, last year when that Johansson, I will not use Jofa. Thank you. The Johansson Arvid, we got to come up with a better line name. Uh, we do. Forsberg Arvidsson. You know, like you do, couldn't turn away. You know, when they're on the ice, like, Something's going to happen, and it's still like that when they're together. But th- this, this Turris Fiala Smith line now is like, oh my gosh! I mean, it's incredible the chemistry, the speed, explosiveness, and Turris. I mean, I frankly didn't realize he was this good, but I think we've seen enough now. That's him. Uh, he's really good, and so is this team. A point per game player, seventeen points in seventeen games, and you can hear more from Kyle Turris. I spoke to him uh, on Tuesday morning. Uh, before the Predators played the Winnipeg Jets about his transition and, and how a player traded in season handles expectations, particularly when uh, a lot of it is expected of them upon that trade. Uh, and you can see that on Tennessean.com on Wednesday. Um, but his line mates, Kevin Fiala and Craig Smith, each have eight goals since they started playing with Kyle Turris. That total is tied for the team lead. Uh, Kevin Fiala has a seven-game point streak as well uh, as well as Kyle Turris. Um, they combined for a goal in Calgary that made it a two-nothing score uh, on Saturday during Hockey Night in Canada. Um, but I think the most uh, important aspect of Kyle Turris's uh, arrival uh, is the fact that you don't have to have the Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson connection together and expect it to be a top-heavy offense. Uh, they're being put back together for the game against the Jets, and the Fiala-Turris-Smith line is staying put. Uh, but last year, that team was 
the team was overly reliant on the three of them to create offense. Now they don't have to do that anymore. I mean, I was just looking at the numbers before we sat down. You know, five on five this season, when Forsberg, Johansson, and Arvidsson are on the ice together, they've outscored the opposition 13 to 6, and Fiala, Turris, and Smith have outscored the opposition 10 to 4. So a lot of heavy offensive play there. Uh, the more, most impressive thing for me, Joe, about that road trip was not that dismantling of the Vancouver Canucks on, on, uh, the two, on the Wednesday, which was a 7-1 victory, even though I think it was impressive that considering this team's third-period issues sometimes with, ma- with struggling to maintain large leads, they ended up putting the foot on the throat of the Canucks in that third period and, and continued to put on the pressure. But the two games after that, in Edmonton and in Calgary, particularly in Edmonton, where they were outshot 22-4 to in the first period, they found ways to win when they weren't playing their best. And I think a mark of a good team isn't just winning like they did in Vancouver, but it's also winning like they did in Edmonton and Calgary. I mean, that, that speaks to you know, a maturity of a team that knows that even if it's not playing its best game, that they can still find ways to win. And they're apparently incredibly dangerous in the second period. I mean, that's when they scored all four of their goals uh, against Edmonton, and I believe both goals against Calgary. So this team wants to start better. Ryan Johansson said on Tuesday morning that the one thing that they want to correct is getting off to better starts because their games against Edmonton and Calgary weren't their best from the start, even though they were able to pick it up in the end. So um, I guess when you when you look at, you mentioned this, and I, I'm curious for your thoughts a little bit more about UC Saros and Pecorine. UC Saros sets a franchise record with a 46 save shutout. Pecorine, not to be outdone, decides to have a shutout of his own in the next game. He says he loves the competition. Nobody really believes that UC Saros at any time soon, with at least this season and next season, is going to push Pecorine for significant playing time. But when you look at the schedule, I think there's roughly 50 games left in the schedule. How many games realistically do you think UC Saros should start of those 50 games? Well, he, he, he can't and he won't any longer just be the back-to-back guy, which is what he's been so far. Um, I, I think they want to end up with the, and, and you know better than me right now, the, the pace, and you've kept up on where they are. That I think it should be about what it was last year. Maybe they went into this year thinking a little bit more for UC, but I think if they're right around there, the same or maybe a little more, I think that's perfect. Because obviously, it worked great for Pecorine going into last year's playoffs, and he made it all the way through. Game six of the Santa Cup final, had a short summer, came back and has been great. So it's funny that you just said, Adam, you know, no one expects UC this year or next year. I mean, really, though, I would say a year ago it was certainly premature to talk about UC taking over the job. Yes. But I think you and I probably at that point at different times probably thought, well, maybe there's a little bit of a baton pass this year and maybe by next year it's UC's job and it's funny pekka has sort of he's he's you know he's moving the goalposts so to speak <laughs> you know i got to bring football into it somehow yes so that's interesting but um yeah i would think about about what they did last year and uh or you see had 19 starts last year i think preferably you know, if they get him into the 20s, 20s yeah. I, I think the 23 to 25 range would be preferable for him you look at the schedule upcoming you know they play the winnipeg jets on tuesday they have a day off on from games. They, pra- they practice on Wednesday. Then they host the Carolina Hurricanes at home on Thursday. That's a UC Soros start written all over it. I mean, it's a, a day off in between games. It's an Eastern Conference opponent where he's mostly played his games against Eastern Conference teams. He played in Carolina last month. And then the rest of the schedule throughout 2017 are you know at Dallas, at St. Louis, at Minnesota, and home to Minnesota in a home-and-home home back-to-back. Um, and those are very important games. I think UC Saros will probably get one of those games against Minnesota, but you know, Eastern Conference team at home has UC Saros written all over it, and, and 
they did well last year, particularly Pekka in the playoffs by, you know, he was so good because he had some more rest because as you said, he wasn't just the taking the second half of back-to-backs off. He had those multiple days in between game and you know, multiple day breaks with games, you know, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, he would start Tuesday. UC would start Thursday. He would start Saturday, which didn't normally used to happen. I mean, this is the prime opportunity for UC Saros to get a game in at home, which he very rarely does. And against, and in a, a situation to give Pekka a little bit more rest. Yeah. And it, it's, like early on, and you wrote about this. I mean, was UC playing terrible, or was he just? There were a couple of games where he didn't get a lot of help, and no. he did, right. But the numbers were bad. Yeah, and he's and the team gave up 91 total shots on goal in his last two starts, and he stopped 89 of them. But that's still he shouldn't be facing 40 plus shots a game. Right. You know, that's just anyway. But but the way he's playing now, I mean, it's it's a no brainer. But it, had things not changed recently, you wonder, you know, what I mean is that does that would that have meant? Well, just keep going with Pekka because he's playing so well, and maybe push it back a little bit. I don't know, but now it's just it's it's such a benefit when you think about both of them are hot, and also by the way, Ryan Ellis is coming back soon, yes, and and, and this team, you know, has missed a guy here or there, and you look at the depth of this lineup right now. I mean, Amika Salamaki can't get out there. A Freddie Goudreau's back and forth, and whenever he plays, he plays well. I mean, it, the whole the whole thing, Adam, just looks really promising. It does, and I know that you have limited time, Joe, so I'll end it with this. You mentioned Ryan Ellis. He's still on track to return within the next couple of weeks. I mean, this team is going to have some tough decisions to make. Just in base, they have a full roster right now. You know, the one player that they were able to send down without waiver uh, the waiver process they already did, and Freddie Goudreau to allow Sky Hartnell to come back. They're going to have to let somebody go off this roster who you know who is prone to waivers, um, and they're going to have eight defensemen, which I don't think they're going to want to carry. You know, so there's there, it looks like there may be either a, a fringe forward or a fringe defenseman who isn't going to you know who's going who may have to leave this team to make room for Ryan Ellis. Who is that player? Who do you think? Who do you think is the player that you know is taken off of this roster potentially to make room for Ryan Ellis? And it could be either a forward or defenseman. I, I assume it's the the defenseman triangle of Batetto, Weber, Irwin. One of those three. You could probably point me in the right direction among those three, but that's what I would assume it is that it would be one of because Emelin has I think entrenched himself. Yes, now. I, I think he I has. think he's definitely going to be third pairing guy, and then. I think it's one of those three. So if I if I'm right there, if you agree, which one? I think you'd have to look. I mean, it's a good question. Honestly, the you know Matt or I think Yannick Weber has that that has the the fast lane for the sixth spot because he's been regularly in the lineup since he's returned. It really comes down to Matt Irwin and Anthony Botetta who have sort of rotated um, into that other spot. Uh, and when you think about it, um, you know I think. It's been pretty even. I would have to count in terms of which player of those two has been scratched since Yannick Weber returned from injury. I would be more. I would be more uh, likely to waive Anthony Botetto because I feel like he has less chance of being claimed by a team through waivers than Matt Irwin. Mm-hmm. Um, that that that's my personal opinion. Those who are listening may disagree. Um, I don't think any of those. I don't think they want to get rid of any of those. Forwards, I, I don't though, right? think they. I don't think that's they why wanna, you have to look at yeah, the forward like yeah. like. Is it out of the realm of possibility? Maybe. Is it out of the realm of possibility for Cody McLeod to be that player? Yeah. He's been out of the lineup regularly. Right. This team is playing very well without him in the lineup. I'm not saying it's a direct correlation between Cody McLeod not playing this team, you know, skyrocketing to the top of the standings, but 
you know, with Scott Hartnell playing fourth line and, 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 you know, having that luxury of having a player like Scott Hartnell on your fourth line, I mean, they're playing fast. They're playing with speed. Cody McLeod, you saw it during the playoffs when they played Chicago, he wasn't in the lineup when they played, uh, St. Louis and Anaheim, a heavier game, heavier teams. He was in the lineup, but you also have Mika Salamaki who can play that heavy game and is a little bit faster than Cody McLeod. So but don't you want to have the ability to beat someone up if you need to? Yeah. Well, Austin Watson has, has sort of taken on that role and, and did before Cody McLeod arrived last season, even though the, the face he made when he uh, had to fight <laughs> Troy Brower uh, after that hit on Garnet Hathaway, which is a real name. It's, you know, sounds like the, uh, the, the, the cover, uh, protagonist of a romance novel <laughs> garnet hathaway um you know austin's face he you know he's just like all right here okay we go. And, let's do and, this and, and you know what i think it was the right decision from the nhl not to seek supplemental discipline uh for austin watson he received an interference major and a game misconduct was ejected from the game i really do believe it had something to do with recency bias because remember it was less than a month ago that he was suspended two games for boarding um and i think he recognized that as well he knows that the officials are going to be watching him more closely. But when you watch the replay, it isn't as bad as it looked in real time. When I saw it in real time in Calgary, I definitely went, ooh, that, that wasn't good. But then when I watched the replay a couple times, it did look like you know Hathaway may have sold it just a smidge, yeah. uh, and it wasn't as bad as it looked. Uh, but you, know, you have to wonder, if, you know, back to what you were saying, that you know, is Cody McLeod, does he have a, a spot on this team? They obviously respect him, but... And, and they like him, they like his presence, but does it fit into what this team is trying to do on the ice? I'm not so sure. So that's, that's the question that you'll have to keep an eye on, and as well as the pairs. Does Ryan Ellis go back with Roman Yossi and P.K. Subban with Matias Ekholm? And those are questions. Well, you save that for the postseason. Right. So those are questions that still have to be answered, and we'll be here to provide those answers for you as they happen. Um, you know, I, Joe, I appreciate you bringing your insight into this and, and also trumpeting in my haircut and making me feel good about myself. Not that anyone, like I said, not that anyone can see this other than two of us and John Garcia, who's in here helping us record this podcast. But, you know. I mean, it's not just, you know, I mean, it's the real deal. Man. <laughs> Wait, who, which former NBA player, Anthony Mason? Is that who you, can, you constantly compare? Actually, especially now, for anybody who remembers Anthony Mason, the New York Knicks, there's, there are definite parallels here. Your haircut and his from, from the mid-90s. My yes. hair grows ridiculously fast. I know no one is listening to this podcast to hear about my haircut, uh, but it just goes ridiculous. It grows ridiculously fast. So sometimes I just have to, you know, to use the hockey term, you know, you have to keep the flow tight, you know. So anyway. You, your haircut should get its own podcast. We'll work <laughs> on that in the future. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about the, the Adam Bingen haircut podcast eventually. But continue uh, to, to log on to Tennessean.com for my analysis on the Nashville Predators, as well as Joe's. Um, does a great job. Um, considering how much he has to balance between the Tennessee Titans, the Tennessee Volunteers, the soon-to-be uh, coming MLS franchise, That's as right. it appears, um, and everything else happening in Middle Tennessee sports. And you can follow me on Twitter, at Adam Bingen, Joe, at Joe Rexro, just our first and last names. And thank you for listening, and continue to follow us at Tennessean.com.